This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance and I'm Sim Wee Boon. Last Friday, Prime Minister Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim, who is also our Finance Minister, retabled Budget 2023 in Parliament with the team Developing Malaysia Mandani, which encapsulates the message of upholding sustainability, prosperity, innovation, trust, respect, as well as care and compassion. Now, the revised budget uh, contains efforts to address key issues uh, afflicting the public, like rising cost of living, national debt, digitalization, as well as food safety. There's a slew of initiatives Initiatives, uh, such as tax cuts for the M40, luxury taxes, reliefs, and other incentives that my guest today, Tanir Malai Somasundaram, Managing Director for Tani's Tax Consulting Services, will help me unpack. Good morning and welcome to the show, Tanir. So let's just go through and go through a rough overview of the budget, right? What were the key highlights for you? What really caught your eye? Well, it's the largest budget, certainly. You know, they've got an expenditure plan of $387 billion. And it's meant to be reviving the economy and giving money to the people who need it. But if you think about the highlights, it's really the the reduction in the personal tax. That's one key highlight. The second one was actually you know, the first 150,000 ringgits of chargeable income for the small SMEs, the small and medium-sized companies. They will get a reduction to 2% from 17% to 15%. And then for the individuals, you know, now if you transfer property, stamp duty exemption up to 1 million. Previously, it was between parents and the children. Now it's been extended between grandparents to grandchildren. And then the government will also be contributing 500 ringgits for those who have, you know, in EPS, less than 10,000 ringgits between the ages of 41 to 54 because their savings have dropped. The other highlight is also, you know, there's been a lot of hoo-ha around this luxury tax, you know, certainly what is luxury tax, etc. And uh, if you think about it, so there's also a continuation of all the reliefs that, you know, previously you got the lifestyle relief, the child care, for example, you know, the 3,000 ringgit has been just extended. Medical relief, first they've increased it from 8,000 to 10,000 for serious illnesses, for your medical checkups, and also for things like the autism and Down syndrome and all that. So they've included that so you can, you can claim that medical relief. All the other reliefs will can continue. You know, there are so many, many other reliefs, you know, the uh, medical expenses for your parents and all that will continue. So finally, I think the other big thing is the B40. They're going to give away, you know, a big amount of money to is really 2.5 billion ringgit. Those earning less than 2,500, they will be receiving 2,500 depending on the number of children. And the extreme poor, the hardcore poor, will also be receiving another 600 ringgits in the form of food baskets and vouchers. And lastly, the youths will receive 200 ringgits in the form of uh, e-cash credits. So that's where we are. There's a lot of goodies. They're giving it to the poor, the needy, the B40, and the M40 also will benefit those who are earning less than the 100,000. Okay, so let's jump into the one that generated a lot of discussion, which is the, in, the income tax reduction of 2%, right? Mm. I think there's a lot right. of confusion in these on how it actually works, right? Because there are those that are lauding the 2% for those that are making 35 to 100K annually. But there are those that are saying that, you know, then it will be increasing for the 100K to the million ringgit band. 
And that, that's the part I think where people are starting to get confused about in terms of the income tax reduction and how much they save, right? The, the general argument is that like, no, you can't compare someone that earns 100k and which 1 million, the, the band should be raised higher to 500k to 1 million. But, you know, maybe you can clarify exactly how does the, so let me, let how me does it work? How it works. Let me give you an example. If you are a single individual, you know, earning 37,000, let's say 37,000, you are not likely to pay any tax at all if you are a single person and you only get self-relief of 9000 But if you happen to be a married person and you don't have children, then up to 41000 ringgits, you're not going to pay any tax. You know, you're basically on a break. And if you happen to have a child and you have, you're married, then it increases to 43000 And 43000 you're not paying. Because remember, if you earn, you know, if somebody's earning 37000 he's entitled to 9000 relief. His net taxable income is 28000 So you must look at the taxable income. Now, let's go to the next bracket, the 35000 the 50000 bracket. Now, if you're earning, let's say, you know, uh, 50000 ringgits, you know, let's say 49000 you're only going to be paying tax of 1,016 ringgits and, and a tax saving. You have a tax saving of 104 ringgits for someone who is earning 49,000. Let's assume he's an individual, not married, single person. Between 70,000 to 100,000, you're still saving. You'll get a saving of 1,280. When we talk about 100,000, you should be earning gross 108,000 because you get 9,000 relief. So you bring it back to 99,000 is your chargeable income. And you will have a tax saving of 1,280. The same, you know, the same, if you do the same calculation for a person who is married, whose wife is not working, 111,000. And if he happens to have a child and the wife is not working, it's 114,000. But once you pass the tipping point, the 100,000, if you pass the tipping point, and that tipping point will come when you're earning about 109,000. When you earn 109,000, you are immediately going to be paying an additional tax of 1,280. And after that, it starts with 0.5. You know, you, they, they will increase your tax by 0.5. Then it goes on to 1%. Then it goes on to 2%, you know. Uh, so that's how it works in simple terms. Uh, I mean, anyone earning more than 108,000, then you carry on. You start at 0.5, then it goes to 1%, then it goes to 2% additional tax. There's been a lot of people are talking about, you know, you're acting like a Robin Hood, robbing from the rich and paying for the poor. I'd like to make a comment on that. You know, somewhere the government has to collect the money and help. And the people who can afford it, to think about it as you're helping, not so much the government, you're helping the people who need it. You're compensating what the government has given as benefit. So I'll leave it at that. That is the confusion, right? Because I think people are just taking it at face value and not realizing that this is on the chargeable income. And I think yeah. hence the people start doing their own calculations and realizing that, you know, like why is it suddenly being tipped over and I'm being charged so much? But um, we're going to take a short break for some messages. And after this break, we will go back in and look more into the other taxes that have been introduced in this budget. So stay with us, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ringgit and Sense. Brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Wee Boon, and today's topic is Budget 2023, the recently retabled budget from uh, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim, um, who retabled the budget last Friday. Uh, my guest today is Tanya Malai Somasundram, Managing Director for Tani's Tax Consulting Services. And earlier in the show, he was unpacking and helping to explain 
I think the confusion that a lot of people have on the 2% tax reduction, and it was a comprehensive one. I really urge you to go listen back uh, to really understand how it will impact you. But now I want to talk about something else that also was introduced that a lot of people really talked about, which is the luxury tax, you know. So um, you're the tax expert here. I think what I want to know is, uh, do we have a definition for what is a luxury good? And what, what is the quantum that you think the government is going to look into? How would it work? No, I'll tell you this. I think on luxury tax, there's a lot more information that we need. First of all, they need to decide what type of goods, whether it's handbags, watches, jewelries, you know, things like jewelry could be included. You've got to watch jewelry because a lot of people actually put money as investment. Everybody invests. The other one was a lot of discussions about the potential problems we'll have in terms of, you know, discouraging tourists. But to me, I think luxury tax also, we need to decide where we're going to tax it. And most likely it's going to be taxed at the point of sale. Luxury items, I think they've got to define what will be luxury items. And it has to be at the end of the day based on value. You can't say every handbag is subject to luxury tax. Be only the very expensive ones. You know, It's got to be based on value. It's got to be at the sales point. And we have got to define what will be included. You know, will it be expensive cars or jewelry? Will it be handbags? Any other expensive Electronics? consumable? Because we have this uh, personal consumption relief, right? Where, you know, I can buy a laptop or, an, uh, or a phone and get a relief, right? But if, if that's, I mean, if an iPhone is de- defined as a luxury, I mean, do you see any overlap or misconception? So I see that as a problem. I see that as a problem. Luxury must be something that if you enjoy, that is a, per, you know, there's something very emotional shouldn't be linked to utilitarian stuff mobile phone is a must for everybody okay so we talk about bags right i mean sporting goods we get a relief right but there are luxury items within sporting goods category as well right i mean that's that's also another problem yeah you could be caught because you could be buying a bicycle now you know bicycles can even cost you you know fifty thousand ringgits now is that luxury item but at the same time it is for your health are you going to use value defining certain goods, you know. So they already said it's handbags, it's going to be watches, it's going to be the cars and things like that. But we've got problems when it comes to, you know, certain things. So it's going to be hard decisions that the authorities have to make. And it should be same time, you know, they have to take into account that it doesn't discourage the sales. It will also affect local manufacturers also. Don't forget there are people in this end, at the top end of the market, where the local manufacturers supply. So... There are a lot of questions around luxury tax, but inevitably it's going to be on items which are of personal satisfaction, emotionally you're paying that emotional connection, which is not used by the day-to-day person, you know, the normal person. These are people who have very high values. I hope they're looking at values in 100,000 ringgits, you know, that kind of numbers would make sense. But if they go below, you know, if they go to 10,000, 5,000, that would be detrimental. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Okay, so we move on to yeah. the other tax that I think have been introduced where I think caught a lot. We can touch on this shortly, which is the tax on e-cigarettes and vape, right? Um, I mean, again, you know, we don't know what the details are, but one thing that I think was interesting is that they are looking to take about, I think, 50% or more than that of the income generated and put it into health. In terms of taxing e-cigarettes and vapes, do you foresee any complications with these? And in terms of the... No, I, no, I don't see the complications. The only thing is it may end up the illegal market will boom because it always happens whenever you impose a tax on liquor and cigarettes and all that the illegal market always booms that you can't stop it but you can only sort of police it and make sure it doesn't happen but on the other hand taxing it is not good because they're going to use excise duty 
And it's timely for the excise duty because if they want to smoke, then it's their choice. And I think we ought to be taxing it and making it more expensive for them. And, and it's good. Um, but I think at the same time, they have to be warned about the health, the effects that will happen on their health. But I think taxing it is one way of discouraging such smoke. It's not too difficult. There is also an introduction of capital gains tax on disposal of unlisted shares by companies. What does this mean and what kind of impact do you think you'll have? This will have a significant because you know all share basically there'll be capital gains tax on sale of unlisted share. So basically if you have a share in private company when you sell it, the gain. Now the issue there will be uh, what will be the cost? Because if you go back to the original cost, it could be many, many, many years ago, or it could be nominal values. The tax could be significant because you will apply a capital gains tax, maybe at a low rate. So what they need to do is actually Perhaps all unlisted shares, you should take the cost as it is today. You should value the shares today. And then when they sell it in the future, you pay the capital gains. But capital gains is also that been that saying that if you introduce capital gains, it will hurt the market. No, I disagree with that. I'll tell you why. Because the rest of the world, other than Singapore and Hong Kong, all the major economies have capital gains tax. We are one of the last people actually to be introduced a wider capital gains tax. If we even extend it to capital gains on other matters, you know. But at the moment, they're only thinking of doing it phase by phase. But they've got to introduce it, and it's, and and there are rules. You know, it shouldn't discourage business reorganizations. It shouldn't discourage actually business activities like mergers and acquisitions. And we are in a very lucky position. We are the one of the last to actually widen this. You know, so in that sense, you can look around the world for the best practices, and there are exemptions and there are reliefs, etc. You can build into the system that it doesn't destroy or you know, upset business. So at the moment, a lot of people are wanting to stop it from being introduced or being expanded. I think they should think a little bit from a bigger picture and say, if you're making capital gains, then all we're asking you is to share a small portion of that as tax with the government. And it's not something that's going to be disrupting or destroying the economy. Okay, and we also know that the government is proposing to give a tax amnesty uh, for full penalty waivers, you know, the special voluntary disclosure program. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, generally, how well received do you think this will be? The danger is we have had a lot of these voluntary declarations and we have had amnesty programs from 90s and 2000s, etc., I'm just worried that the good taxpayers will be very upset because you know, at the end of the day, the SVDP is a good one. Government needs money. The last time they collected $8 billion. This time around, they can also collect maybe about you know, $10 billion or $15 billion. It is possible. But, you know, you shouldn't encourage this on a regular basis. So the people like you and me who have been paying taxes on a regular basis, we feel aggrieved that these guys can come in once in five years and ten years and end up you know, paying their past taxes. And they're going to be given a total penalty waiver. This time around, he said 100%. You know what happened the last time? It's actually many taxpayers actually abused this. What we did during the last regime was we, the government said that take whatever money they declare in good faith, don't question them at all, which is wrong, which I hope this time around, the IRB and customs will not allow that to happen because we as taxpayers have paid the money. And these people, I think there must be a basis. They must come up and say which years they've underdeclared and how did they arrive at the amount. And there must be a reasonableness check. Otherwise, 
what they did the last time was people were supposed to pay millions of dollars just paid 100000 or 50000 or 150000 and said all my taxes are 2017 is clear frankly the good taxpayers are being cheated by the bad taxpayers so that should not happen against them if they come forward let them come forward accept it in good faith but do some reasonableness checking and make sure they're paying the taxes they have under declared past correctly okay waive the penalty but collect the right amount of tax we lost out last time uh, and this shouldn't be repeated by i i feel basically as a good taxpayer the grief that these people who don't pay taxes for many years can come once in a while and just pay your taxes 5 years or 10 years late with no penalty and pay a lower amount of that you know even customs recently under the sbdp allowed them to pay they gave a discount on the tax that was due that is certainly you know that was really shocking actually that you can actually reduce the amount of taxes for someone who is already paying you late this they have to be fair when they come up with this you know to make sure that the sbdp the amount of tax collected is the right amount of tax right yep a loophole that was uh, taken advantage of lastly then i want to ask you tanis what 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 do you think is missing from this budget what would you have liked to see in the budget I would have liked to see you know there's a the cryptocurrencies there's no mention about the taxation of cryptocurrencies the digital businesses also remember now a lot of businesses have they are now offshoring the business using the digital means there are taxes but customs and iap on the same matter can take a different view you know so they view things differently there's no synchronization between the two agencies you know there needs to be a synchronization uh, the two don't work together it's like oil and water you know customs works differently iap works differently certainly you know i thought gst will come but gst didn't come so it may come later because our prime minister has rolled it up but he says the time is not right that's about it those are the main things in my opinion and the biggest thing they have missed out is actually you know the smes have got 40 billion worth of loans they've got a lot of support the smes but the, the there's a mid level group of companies who are not smes and who are not the extremely large companies that group have not been given you know, there's been nothing in the budget for them you know for example on reinvestment or helping them these are the businesses doing very well those who are not in the smp but below the the billion dollar you know group uh, and you know they may be 300 million 200 million you know 100 million that kind of turnover they didn't get any help and i think that's been missed that's the group that's generating a lot of income employing that seems they, uh, there was no focus in this budget on All right, and that's all the time we have for today's episode of Ringgit and Sense. My guest today for the show was Tanir Malai Somasundram, Managing Director of Tanir's Tax Consulting Services. Thank you for being on the show, Tanir. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Weibun from the Morning Run, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia. Your lifetime insurance and Takaful partner. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.